Good evening. We're going to get started. Glad you are here. A couple of quick announcements uh, before we start off. First off, Friday night we'll have a youth uh, night in at downtown. It starts at 6 o'clock. So if you have youth, be sure and, and take note of that. The kids will have a ping pong tournament uh, Saturday morning in the FLC, and so be sure and take note of that. Coming up for us as a church on the 30th is our fifth Sunday singing. Uh, we're looking forward to a great time. Our theme on that Sunday night will be singing about heaven, and so that's going to be a great time. Plan to be here uh, that Sunday night. We're going to have homemade ice cream uh, after that. Let's start off tonight with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful uh, for a foundation that stands, that will stand. We're thankful for an anchor that holds. We're thankful for a gracious God, for a loving God. We're thankful for the truth uh, of a risen, resurrected Savior. Lord, I pray tonight as we assemble as your people that you would lead us, that you would direct us, that you would grow us, that you would build us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that it would be a supernatural event. Uh, I pray for our kids tonight in such a, a, a tough world. I pray for a foundation of truth to be built, to be stacked upon tonight. I pray that it would bear weight, that it would bear fruit, and I, I pray for a blessing on that. I pray for the, for the youth, uh, same thing as they go through the, this lesson tonight. I pray uh, that they hear, that they learn, that they grow, uh, and that their foundation is built tonight. I pray that, Lord, uh, they would be growing to stand upon that foundation. I pray for the other adult classes meeting tonight. I pray for our class tonight. Um, I pray as we learn uh, your words, we learn your activity in history, uh, I pray, Lord, that we would draw closer to you, uh, again, that we would be built up in our study tonight. Lord, we, we thank you for the good things that you've blessed us with. We're thankful for your grace, for your kindness, for your love, most of all for our salvation. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Right tonight, we're on our 56th lesson. It is the last part of our study in the Old Testament. Uh, we'll move next week to our study in the New Testament. Uh, it is really a bridge lesson. Uh, it's probably a lesson that you maybe not have not heard much about the subject matter. Uh, I never really had spent much time on this until a certain point uh, in, in my study of God's Word. And so it's going to be maybe new information. Some of it may be a review but it's an important lesson for us. Our lesson is entitled, The Sound of Silence. Lesson 56, The Sound of Silence. We're going to look at some Old Testament verses. We're going to look at some New Testament verses as well. I want to start off, and I just want to read uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, uh, Paul is writing to the churches of southern Galatia. He is explaining God's work, and he says this, When the time had fully come... God sent his son. When the time had fully come, uh, God sent his son. I want you to think about that verse as we move through our study tonight. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Our key point tonight is that God, throughout the Old Testament history, was working all things together for the coming of our Messiah, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, every piece was precisely in place allowing for the event of the gospel, uh, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and also the eventual spread of the gospel. Now, I want to I point something out here, and it's a very important thing for us to see. Uh, sometimes we think, well, there's this thing, the Old Testament, and then there's this thing over here, the New Testament. 
And we think, well, this one closes out, and then this one starts up over here. And so we kind of think along the lines, well, there's the Old Testament, and the Old Testament prophets, and the Old Testament happenings, and there is the New Testament, and the New Testament Word of God, and the New Testament happenings. Well, understand, that's not what happens. Uh, it is all one story. It is all one account telling us of the, the need for Christ, the promise of Christ, the coming of Christ, and the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And so uh, it, it's not two separate accounts. It's all uh, what we call the grand scheme of things, one movement leading us to have and to hold and to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Um, well, we think, well, that's Old Testament. Well, that's New Testament. Yes, um, but seeing it as one uh, movement, one really theme pointing us to Christ is important because sometimes we start to think, well, that was what God was like in the Old Testament, and this is what God's like in the New Testament. Well, that's what God did in the Old Testament, but God's not like that in the New Testament. Sometimes folks will say, well, God was a God of judgment in the Old Testament, but he's a God of grace and mercy in the New Testament. Uh, that's the danger of splitting this up and how we look at it. Well, understand this. There is only one God, and he is the same, and he hasn't changed, and he's not going to change. And so he is a God of judgment, yes, always, and he's a God of grace and mercy uh, shown towards sinners, yes, always. And so we're not having two views. Well, there's an angry God, and thank the Lord for the New Testament, because there is a gracious God. There is one God, and he has not changed, and he is the same. And he's gracious, and he's kind, and he's holy, and he's just, and that has not changed. So when we're seeing this tonight, really we're just continuing moving along. We're closing out the books of our Old Testament. We're beginning a study in the New Testament. But it is one movement. It is one theme, and that theme is our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, the silent years. From the close of the book of Malachi until the start of the New Testament, gospel accounts, uh, Mark most likely is the first gospel account recorded. From the book of Malachi uh, to the first penning of the gospel of Mark uh, to the events of the gospel accounts, there are 400 years that pass. Uh, the Bible is silent about those years. It doesn't tell us in the Bible what happens uh, in those years. There is no new biblical revelation uh, given to God's people during those years. There's no prophet speaking during those years. There's not a book of the Bible that comes from that time period. And so it is a time called the silent years. And so there's no uh, new biblical revelation recorded for us during those 400 years. Now that doesn't mean God's not speaking, doesn't mean God's not working, but there's no a written word of God, no record of God's speech to people during that 400 years. It's called the silent years. Now, it's important to note that while no new revelation was given or recorded from God, uh, many important developments happened during that 400 years. Now, that to me is an interesting thing. Well, we finish Malachi, we jump in, we start the gospel accounts, and we really don't think about that time period in between, that 400 years in between. There's actually many developments, important developments, critical developments that take place uh, during that time. Uh, they're going to be key to the coming of the Messiah and then the spread of the gospel after the coming of the Messiah. And so what happens during this 400-year time period 
it is important and it's worth knowing and it's worth studying. And so that's what we're undertaking as a church tonight. Here's an interesting uh, thought. All right, so Malachi, the book of Malachi finishes. Uh, God speaks through the prophet Malachi. Uh, he's not going to speak through a prophet like that to be recorded for 400 years. And so God uh, is silent during that 400 years. I, I started thinking about this. Do you think God's people noticed the silence? And, and that's kind of an interesting question. Now, we don't know if they did, but do you think they said, well, where's the prophet? We haven't heard from anybody in a while. What's God doing? Uh, who's, who's speaking to us? And, and, and that could be, could be what happened. I, I think maybe they think, well, God must be mad at us. He's mad at us. So he's not talking to us. Uh, maybe they said, is God real? We haven't heard from him. Maybe he never was real. Maybe this is all a bunch of, of nonsense anyway. Is God real? Um, maybe they thought, well, God's gone away. He, he spoke to us, and now he's gone away. We don't know where he's at. I wonder if they were mad. And I think about some of the things that happened during that time, and I wonder if they go, man, we sure have it bad, and we've been treated like this, and we've been taken captive so many times we can't count it, and, and now he doesn't even speak to us. I wonder if they were mad at God. So there's a lot, of, a lot of things to think about. I wonder if they noticed. If they did notice, I wonder what they thought was happening. Here's what I think probably happened. I think they probably went a year and, hey, we're just doing business and we're working and we're moving along and then three years and then 10 years. And you know what? The kids are all in, in high school and so we got busy stuff and we got to worry about this and then... We're going we're gonna to need a new ox. Our old ox is getting too old. And, and then, you know, they're getting married next year. We've got to think about that. And I kind of think maybe time passes. And then, hey, we don't really remember anymore. And now another generation's going. I think maybe they were living life and maybe they didn't notice. I, this, this past week I was gone. I was out of town. And on, on one of the afternoons I had, a, had some time. Carrie was in a class. And I just started reading the Bible, and I just started reading it. And you know what? I write Bible studies, and I prepare for sermons, and I prepare for lessons. But I started thinking as I was just reading the Bible to read the Bible, you know what? I don't read the Bible enough. And, and you know what? God has something to say, and God is speaking through his word. And I just wonder how often we get so busy doing things that you go, you know what? I, I need to hear what God's saying. And I just wonder if those folks were a lot like this. And 20 years turns into 80 years, and all of a sudden, 400 years go by. So these are the silent years. These are the years that we're going to talk about. Um, I made a timeline. The timeline goes like this. In 430 before Christ, 430 B.C., the book of Malachi talks about the return of Elijah uh, to prepare the people for God's redemptive plan. Uh, the, the book of, of Malachi, I'm going to read you a couple verses, says there's going to be a forerunner come, there's going to be a prophet come. Uh, it's, it's not really the spirit of Elijah, but it is one like Elijah. It's kind of a nickname uh, for a prophet that's going to come, that's going to get us ready for the coming of Christ. And so there is one that's going to come that's going to make way uh, the coming of the Christ. Uh, so the book of Malachi turns about that, talks about that at the start of the Gospels, uh, we know that John the Baptist is this forerunner, the one that comes and prepares the way for Christ to come. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to send a prophet. He's going to get you ready for the coming of the Christ. Malachi chapter 4 Verses 5 and 6, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not smite the land with a curse. God says there's going to be a forerunner and the forerunner is going to prepare you to receive the Christ. Now, it's kind of a side note, but I like to wonder or think about, well, what did the forerunner do? Uh, if you're going to send somebody to make the way ready for Christ, for Jesus, what would you do? Would you run around and say, Jesus is coming? Would you run around and say, hey, this is about to be a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy? Remember what John the Baptist does. He talks about sin. He talks about the need for a Savior of repentance. Uh, he preaches a baptism of repentance. Uh, you know how you get ready for Christ? You see your sin and you know you need a Savior. Well, that's what John the Baptist does. Um, let me turn over to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. All right, 400 years, no word. 400 years, God hasn't spoken through a prophet. Here's the first words. In the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send you my messenger ahead of you. This is a quote from Isaiah 40. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the, pa the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him. And all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me is one, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, so 430 B.C. Uh, in Isaiah 40, also in these two places in the book of Malachi, it is told to us, a forerunner will come, one that will prepare us for Christ. We see that fulfilled in John the Baptist at the start of the Gospels. All right? Moving along in the timeline. 535 through 333 B.C., uh, this time period was the time of Persian rule. Uh, during that time, remember the, the account, they're uh, rebellious toward God. God says he's going to judge them by taking them allowing a neighboring country to take them captive. That is what happens. They are taken captive. Um, after some time, they are allowed to return to Palestine, back to their homeland. Uh, remember the, the sad part of the story, they're allowed to go home, but a whole bunch of them like it where they're at so much, they decide not to go home or maybe to go some other place, but some do go back to the homeland. Uh, Aramaic is the predominant language at the time. And so there's that movement. Uh, they're taken away. They're allowed to go back. Some don't go back. Some do. And they take up a residence in the Lamb. 
All right, 333 now through 323 uh, B.C. is a time of Greek rule. Now, this is very interesting. Uh, Alexander the Great conquers most of the known world. He runs across like a holy terror. He conquers most of the known world. And during this time, he introduces Greek culture, which is this. We like athletics. We like gymnasiums. We like competitions. Uh, we like theater. We like entertainment. Uh, we, we like to go down and watch a, a play. Uh, we like Greek philosophy. We like to talk about what is the meaning of life and how do we get there. And let's, let's think about this. And so um, really we're, we're trying to outdo each other in our thought life. We're, we have entertainment. Uh, we have all these different competitions going on. And that, that philosophy takes home. The spread of that is called Hellenization. And so Hellenization is the embracing of the Greek culture. Now notice 333 through 323 B.C. That is 10 years. And I was thinking about that this afternoon. In that 10 years, there is a mindset so powerful that is introduced that it still impacts us today. What do we do for entertainment? Sports. Where do we go? Coliseums, gymnasiums. Uh, what about philosophy? People like to talk philosophy. What about the movies? What about the theater? Uh, it's crazy that small impact carried through all these Western civilization concepts to us today and still impacts us today. A great thing or important thing that happens during this time, Greek becomes the common language. And so where you used to have all these regional languages, regional dialects, Greek becomes the language of the land. And so there's general use Greek uh, that, that takes hold during this time. All right, the next, the next thing on our timeline. Uh, Jews during this time that embraced the Greek culture and combined it with their own belief set became known as a set of people known as the Sadducees. In the New Testament, we're going to see the importance of the Sadducees. We're going to see the impact of the Sadducees. Well, they take root during this time of Greek influence. Now, here's, here's what they did. They were people of great wealth. They were people of great comfort. They were people of great influence. And they, they had this Jewish tradition. They, they, they liked the Word of God. But some of it, maybe they didn't agree with. Some of it, maybe they couldn't believe. And so they had no problem just setting aside. And let me give you an example of that. Uh, hey, we like God. Hey, we like His Word. But it talks about resurrection. I don't think resurrection is possible, so the Sadducees say resurrection doesn't matter. It's not possible. And so they take a worldly idea and they graft it into the Word of God. I want you to think about starting with that Greek influence, how many of these things show up today? Hey, I like some of the Word of God. Hey, I like it says I'm going to heaven. But you know what? I don't like what it says about this. Right? I'm not going to believe that it says that. That doesn't hold true. Now, that takes place. Those folks are called Sadducees. Um, they actually start to take over Jewish life. They are esteemed. Uh, they take over the office of high priest. Many of the high priests were Sadducees. And, and really, you can just say about them moving forward, they denied parts of Scripture as being true. Hey, the world's tr truth can be true, and God's truth can be true, and we don't have a conflict with that. That's the Sadducees. 
Um, that, that moves out of that time period. All right, next time period, 323 through 204, 204 uh, B.C., that is the time of Egyptian rule. Uh, the Egyptians take over. Some of the Jews are deported back to, to Egypt. Um, the most important thing during this time is the Old Testament is translated into Greek. Greek is still the predominant language, the common language, and so somebody sits down and, and translates the Old Testament into Greek. Now, the translation is called the Greek Septuagint. The Greek Septuagint. Uh, now, now, let me tell you why that's important. Now, any person can read the history of what God has done. They can read of the God that, that delivered them out of Egypt. Uh, in this common language, uh, the story of God, the story of his dealing with his people, the promise of a Messiah, the promise of Christ, can now be read by all people. So that's an important thing coming out of this time period. Now I want you to see all of this during this 400 years, a piece is added, a piece is added, a piece is added. We're headed in a direction uh, piece by piece. All right, 204 through 165. This is a time of Syrian rule. Uh, this is a tough time for the Jews. It's a time they were greatly persecuted the temple is desecrated. Um, it's a tough time for the Jewish people. 165 through 63 B.C. is a window where the Jews actually took control and they ruled. Uh, there was a revolt led by Judas Maccabeus. Uh, he ushered in a time, again, of Jewish rule, of Jewish autonomy. Um, a group of Jew Jewish and religious zealots took control. Now, during this time, we've got control. It's about 100 years that they have control. Uh, some folks show up, and they start saying it's about the law. It's about the, the word of God, the law of God, the commands of God. And, and, and they start saying um, that's the most important thing. That's what we need to adhere to. We run the country, and so we're going we're gonna, to, uh, uphold God's law, but then it starts to grow and they start to add to God's law. And so if you can't drive 55 miles an hour in your chariot, maybe you shouldn't drive 45 miles an hour. And so they make a new law. Thus saith the Lord, you can't drive 45. If you shouldn't go to this place, then maybe you ought not get 10 miles from that place. If you, if you shouldn't do this thing, then maybe you shouldn't even act like you're going to do this thing. And they start to just really pour the laws on and they start acting like these new laws are equivalent or equal to the word of God. Those folks are called Pharisees. Uh, they take root and they gain ground and they spread during this time. It's a bunch of rules. And, we've, and we've, we've got God's rules and we've got these rules added to it. And they have the same value, the same weight as God's word. 63 B.C is the time that Roman rule starts. Uh, the Roman Empire takes control. Uh, they have armies that are fierce. They have armies that are well organized. They have armies that are well trained. Uh, they have spears. They have swords. They have shields. They have chariots. They're able to move quickly, and they, and they take over the whole really known world, the, the Roman time of Roman rule. In their time of their reign, um, public systems 
uh, are established and they grow. Roadways, public trade, mass trade, military prote protection, uh, a lot of advancements are made. Um, the, the Roman road system, you can still go see remnants of it. Um, the roads that they made, now you think, well, I wonder why they made these roads. Uh, the number one reason they made these roads is that the military could get somewhere very quickly. Now, it was important for trade, but hey, we've, we've got something um, five or six days ride from here, and we, we have a, a battle popping up. Uh, we've got roads where we can get there in three days. We can get there quickly. We can send a massive army. And so the roads expand uh, so they can have a military transport and get there easily. And then following that is, are the trade routes behind that. Um, they allowed the Jews a limited form of self-government as long as they submitted to the imposed tax system. Now, I want you to think about this. You can govern yourself as long as you pay taxes. I don't care what your moral code is. That's their, their philosophy. Do what you want. We don't care what your religious code is. Do what you want. Just mail us your taxes. Um, it, it's kind of spooky going to the book of Revelation and seeing a lot of tie-ins today. We can make you think you have power. Just keep sending us your taxes. Now, that's the idea. Um, the Romans desired to rule its empire in peace. They didn't want to have to keep fighting everybody, so they wanted peace. And, and so a system called Pax Ramona, uh, Pax means peace, uh, they, they decided we'll divide up the regions, uh, we'll collect taxes, and we'll put really puppet leaders in these regions, which means this. You want to have a king? We'll send you a king. We'll let you have a king. It's not going to be a real king. They're going to answer to us. They're going to be loyal to us. And so it's puppet kings that spring up. So you know what? Hey, you, this group here, this group here, this territory here, you want to have your king? You can have your king, but it, it's not a real king, and they have no real authority, and they have no say that overrides Rome, but, but it makes you feel better and as long as you keep sending us your taxes. That's how the system starts. That's how the system grows. Um, there's a problem that starts with Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus decides, I am God, and I, I want to be worshipped like God. And, and I don't know if he's just a narcissist, probably. I don't know if he's insane, probably. I don't know if he's satanic, probably. Uh, all of these things, but he decides, I am God, and I want to be worshipped as God. So now we've got two things. Mail us your taxes, but call Caesar God. Treat Caesar as God. Well, these um, Jewish folks um, had a problem with that. There is no God but the God that they worship, the one true God. They've been trained that. And so now we've got to call him God, and we're not willing to do that, so that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem for the Christian church as it grows and moves forward as well. So we got a problem. He's, he says he's God, and we're not willing to call him uh, our God. Herod is a descendant. King Herod is a descendant of Esau, and he was a Jew. Uh, he was chosen to be king in Judea. Um, he is the, one of these puppet kings. He's loyal to himself. He, he's loyal to Rome, he's, and he, he wants the Jewish people to fall in line with really his false idea of ruling. The majority of Jews had great hatred for the Romans and their imposed rule. Uh, they, they, they wanted to be uh, what they were under King David. They wanted to be what they were under King Solomon. 
They loved it when they had the big army. They loved it when they had the big band. Uh, they didn't want anybody ruling over them. They for sure didn't like giving their taxes and sending their taxes. And so, you know what? They may just try to get along, but they can't stand the Romans. The majority of them couldn't stand the Romans. There's a weird sect of them, though, that, that had figured out, and these folks are always with us. Uh, today we call them politicians. And they figure out, hey, I can get rich standing in the gap here. Hey, I can, I can sell my influence, and, and I can... I can act like I represent the Jewish folks, but I can uh, be loyal to Rome and I can profit from that. And so most Jews hated Rome, hated the Romans, hated their, their, their rule over them, but there were some that said, you know what, I can get along in this and I can do very well in this. That's the time of Roman rule. All right, at that point, uh, the stage is set. And I, and I don't know, there's really... So many pieces to it that we, we probably don't even, uh, can't even think of them all, but the stage is set. It's been about 2,000 years since the promise was made to Abraham. Hey, there's a land, and you've got a promised land. And through you, uh, all nations are going to be blessed. There's going to be a Messiah, and all, all nations through him are going to be blessed. 2,000 years after this promise to Abraham, all of these things are exactly set and ready. And when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Uh, all of these things are perfectly set. Now, I want you to think about this. Why is this the perfect time? Now, it's, it's perfect because God ordained it as perfect and it's set up as perfect. But I want you to think about all the things uh, at this time. There are roads to go places. Um, there's a common language. You can speak Greek and you can be understood all over the empire. There is peace. Now, it's a kind of a, an uneasy peace, but there's peace. You know, we've got peace over here and peace over there. Uh, all of these things are set uh, for the birth of Christ. Critically important things. Now, I think about that as, at the same time. Not just the good things are in place, but also the negative things. Did you know during this time, crucifixion becomes a thing? Uh, you can die by crucifixion. During this time, you have this sect of the Jews that would, would want to seize power and be willing to kill somebody that might seize their power. You've got to have somebody willing to kill the, the Christ as, as the sacrifice for sinners. And so the negative pieces are put into place as well. All right, the time is set. All right, here's a good question. Do you think people were expecting this event? And I'm talking about the coming of Christ. Um, been 400 years. Man, a long time ago, they used to talk about there's going to be a Savior, there's going to be a Christ, the promise of Abraham, uh, the descendant of David. We've heard all that, but now it's been 400 years. Do you think they're expecting this event? And to that, I, I come up with a couple answers. I think most people are just living. They're just living. We got bills to pay. We got families to raise. We're just living. I think some folks had, had gotten so far from the promise, maybe they didn't even know it anymore. And, and just some um, folk tale we used to hear. And then the Bible talks about some, uh, Simeon, Anna, some others that were waiting, the Bible says, on the promise of God. And so they're saying, hey, no, our hope is still coming. We still got a hope. And so there's some that are still clinging to the promise. God hasn't failed, and his word holds true. 
Do you think they were expecting this event? All right. This is a, a kind of a, a cheat here, but we're studying the book of Revelation. Uh, the Bible says Christ is coming again. Um, the promise is just as precise, just as prophesied, just as publicly known as was this coming. Do we think Christ is coming again? Look at the signs. Look at what's happening. I think it's the same way. Some folks have just gotten so far from the promise, they don't, they don't know. Some folks are just busy living. They're just busy going. I got stuff to do. I can't worry about that. And then I think there are some folks that are saying, you know what he said? He's coming again, and they hold on to that promise. I, I don't know. It doesn't look like most folks were expecting this event. All right. So the stage is set. Now, the next thing we're going to hear is the, is the gospel accounts, um, the birth of Christ, uh, the, 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 the ministry of John the Baptist, and I go back to the verse that we started with, Galatians 4.4. 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. The word fully in, in Greek in the original language, the language that had become the language of the land, uh, it actually means full, all of the ways. If there's 10 things, all 10 are there. If there's a bucket of 99, the bucket of 99 is all there. When the time had fully totally come, God sent his son. In all the ways, the time was perfect. All right, so I, I stop right there, and this is how we're going to end tonight. Why right then? A language that can be spread, roads where travel can be made easily, peace predominantly in the land, um, crucifixion possible, a people set up opposed to someone stealing their power, when all the ways were right, God sent forth his son. Why did he do it right then? And this is how I want to end tonight. It's because of this. God was adamant about sending a savior. He wasn't messing around when he said he was going to send a savior. He knew the need of people was a savior. He knew we'd need a savior for our sin. He knew we'd need a lamb, a remedy for our sin. He was adamant about sending a savior. And listen to this. And he's adamant about the world hearing of that Savior. What if they couldn't have traveled? What if they couldn't have understood? What if he went to their house and knocked on the door and said, I can't tell you, but somebody was dead and now they're alive and they think you're crazy. God wants people to be saved. He provided a Savior. God wants people to be saved. He sent at the time optimal for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read that and I go, you know what? God is faithful. God is gracious. God is kind. Listen to me. He wants people to be saved. He sent a Savior, and He sent a Savior at the time when the gospel could spread and where we could have it today. God is faithful. God is gracious. God is kind. And when the time had fully come, God sent His Son. I'm going to end right there tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful that today, in this day, in this hour, that I have a Savior because of Jesus. I have a hope because of Jesus. I have the forgiveness of sin because of Jesus. I have the promise of eternal life because of Jesus. And I thank you for that. I'm thankful that you sent a Savior. I'm thankful that you 
sent the gospel that I might hear it, that I might receive it, that we might. Not of anything that we would do or could do. We can't do anything but in the good news of, of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I, I'm thankful for that. I pray, Lord, as we've studied the Old Testament, that we, uh, we have a sense of expectation as we get ready to study the, the New Testament, the coming of Christ. Lord, I, thank th I, I pray that we love you more, that we love you more deeply, and that we see you more clearly with better eyes. And then, Lord, I pray that you prepare us to, to move forward in our study. I'm thankful that your word is living and active and, and sharper than a double-edged sword, that it speaks today. I pray that we've been shaped by it. Lord, we come as we end this class. I pray for the folks here tonight. Bless them. Encourage them. Some of them going through tough things, tough things in their relationships, tough things in their health, tough things in their finances, tough things in their homes. Uh, Lord, you're the answer for all of them. You give us peace, true, true peace in all those situations. And so I pray for them. I pray that you bless them, encourage them, strengthen them. And then, Lord, together use us to tell somebody else the good news of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, we tell you we love you and we praise you. We worship you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Glad you were here tonight.